Daniel and Vicki Hagedorn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. You know, as parents ourselves, my wife and I have the same fears every parent has, which is basically some form of, do I have what it takes to be a good parent? But along the way, we discovered some time-tested principles that empowered us with the mindset and the map to overcome those fears and to replace our insecurities with confidence. And that's why my wife and I want every parent to reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. We want every parent to be able to give their children a childhood they won't have to recover from and to prepare them for life as the best version of themselves. So our podcast is really just our way of paying it forward. And at PK4L, we are committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every step of the way. So I'm really excited. We're, uh, I am here with Katie Tudor, and I'm interviewing her about the foster care system and some of the myths and realities. So this is, this is a first of a two-part series, and in talking about the, the myths and realities, we'll kind of be going into some of the things that, that maybe you thought you knew uh, or maybe some of the things that you do know, or maybe some things that you do know, but there's a little more to it. But we'll be digging it all into all that. But first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for joining me, Katie. I really appreciate you having uh, having you on the, the podcast. Maybe you could just give uh, our audience a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Dan. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so my name is Katie Tudor, and I grew up in the Dallas area in good old Denton, and I came straight Um, to Austin after college. I have my bachelor's in social work and my master's in social work, so love social work. Um, So once I had my degrees, I was a little lost of what I wanted to do. Social work is very broad, which Mm. is great in some ways, but in other ways it can be a little confusing to navigate. Um, But during grad school, I actually had a lot of friends Um, just have some connection to foster care, whether that be um, their family personally fostered um, or another friend her family adopted. Mm. And then a third friend, um, she actually worked for the Texas Council of Child Welfare Boards. So it was just so many different ways that I was hearing about foster care. And since I was looking to go into (laughs) um, some profession of social work, I was like, you know, foster care just keeps coming up. So I decided to apply um, for a child placing agency. And I thought, what better place than good old Austin, Texas. So I uh, moved here and now I work for a child placing agency called Pathways. And I have been here for two years. Wow. So that's kind of the, the pattern of kind of what got you into it. Was there something in particular though beyond that that really attracted you or or drew you into it? I mean, I know that was initially your friends and and the connection there, but was there something about it in particular that made you really want to get involved? Yeah, I have always loved kids, whether that be just babysitting or um, really just, they're such a wonderful reminder of how joyful life can be. And so I just know every time I get to spend time with children. That just makes me so happy. Um, so I knew I wanted to work with children and I did my thesis on homelessness in middle schools. Mm. And that really opened up my eyes of just how many barriers are in place 
for kids who just have no say in all these terrible things happening to them. Um, Wow. I just got to say right off the bat, when you say homelessness and then you talk about in middle school, that's a very jarring uh, comparison. You just don't think of middle schoolers and homelessness. You you tend to think of older people and whatever. I mean, that's really not where you want middle schoolers. And it just puts your life in perspective. I remember going to my internship and I would feel like, oh, I had a hard night staying up late working on my thesis or homework assignments. And I would come in and to work at the middle school and a little kiddo in middle school would just have had no sleep and didn't get to eat dinner last night and was just really upset because he didn't have his homework. And um, didn't, wasn't able to get his laundry done. So there's just so many wow. little things that we don't think about. But yeah, homelessness in middle schools is very prevalent and it was very eye-opening for me. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's just, I know when I was teaching and some of the things that I came into contact with that these kids are dealing with, sometimes it's like, it's a miracle they showed up for school, much yeah. less, you know, anything else that they do in class. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And along those lines, uh, what would you say is kind of the, the best part and then the hardest part of working in foster care? Yeah, so I um, am a family specialist for Pathways, which is really just a glorified case manager. And I feel, Maybe just tell people, because yeah. not everybody necessarily knows what a case manager is. I mean, it's a term yes. we know, but <laughs> maybe for the audience. Yes, a case manager has a caseload, typically. And really, you are just in charge of your caseload. So for foster care, I have um, families on my caseload that I check in with and really just manage. And I guess I know, I'm explaining it with the words, so I feel like that's a little hard. But it's really just analyzing what resources you can help provide those families and really communicating with the treatment team Um there really is a lot of people involved in child welfare. So since I am a case manager for a child placing agency, I really do get to advocate for all of my families on my caseload and just really try to do whatever I can for them. Um, I don't know if that... If yeah, no, that, that, that was good because I, I think not everybody knows what's involved in being a case manager and so forth. I mean, yeah. they, they have an idea, but probably they don't. So... Um, <laughs> So getting back to to the idea, so the 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 best and the worst part of of kind of the foster care being being in the foster care for you. I, when I say worst, I just mean maybe the most challenging, the most difficult part. Yes. So I would say the best part is just getting to meet the children and the families. Uh, the families going into foster care um, often face so many different trials that they don't expect and just to be able to have relationships with the foster families and relationships with the kids Mm. is for sure the best part of just getting to know them and just see how resilient they are and determined to just overcome the circumstances they're in Um, so I would for sure say the best part of working in foster care is just fostering such great relationships Mm. with the families and the kids Definitely. And just um, working with staff that also has the same goal in mind of really helping children in care and just making the 
foster care system better. It's a very broken system. Yeah. So just having a staff that's very like-minded and doing what we can has been really great. Yeah. And I, I imagine that's probably along the lines of the part that's most challenging is that you, you know, are seeing all this and, you know, like in a conversation we had earlier, it's almost like you're marinating in trauma because you're surrounded by it. You're, you're existing in everybody else's trauma and all of the things that they're dealing with, which by the way, in itself is traumatizing. Yes. So. so when I first started, obviously like I've had my master's and we've talked so much about self-care and burnout, but going in, I just wasn't remembering all of those things. So I was really <laughs> surprised when like I was experiencing secondhand trauma and compassion fatigue mm. and I was just really feeling for these families and while I wasn't experienced the different trials they were going through, I was secondhand, like I was experiencing it in a secondhand way. And that was just really hard, but naming it definitely helped, um, made me feel less crazy while I was feeling all of these emotions. But that would for sure have to be the hardest part is just really feeling for these people that you meet and the, the children definitely of they, while they are very resilient, they are going through such terrible things sometimes. So it was just very eye-opening to all of what child welfare can really look like. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. I mean, I know that for kids in that situation, um, they have to be, they have to have a healthy way to process that mm -hmm. or that just stacks up. And then yeah. basically you just have kids who it becomes a comparison contest of who has the more socially acceptable coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And there's not really any healing that's happening in their lives. So um, I would imagine that would be um, quite a quite a difficult part. Now, you, you touched on earlier that uh, the system is, in some respects, broken. Yes. Um, what are... <laughs> Uh, and, and this is the cool thing is you have very much an insider's perspective on this. You're actually working in the field. This isn't like something that theoretically you're speculating might be an issue. This is something that you know is an issue because you're living it every day. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that you know you feel need to be improved? And, and then maybe talk us through some of the things that, you know, like how these improvements can be made. Yes. Yeah, so I think... It can be hard for me to sometimes even think about that because I am in such a micro level job and I feel like for true improvements to be made, that will have to be done at the macro level. Mm. Um, but off the top of my head, I would just think awareness. Um, I sometimes think people view foster care in a taboo way of like, oh, like I don't really want to know a lot about that because I know it involves a lot of trauma and hurt. So I think awareness is so important and really defeating those stereotypes and stigmas that often come with foster care. Um, now, do you mean for prospective people that might be considering fostering? Is that who you're talking about? Or I Yes, and just in general. I feel like foster care can often have a negative connotation, mm. um, sometimes even in media or just talking with different people who don't know a lot about foster care. So I think just awareness in general, um, for like for sure for prospective foster parents, but even just the general public, I feel like awareness is really important. Um, I feel like what so much needs to be improved. Um, <laughs> but I remember 
my boss once said, like, we work until there are no more children who need a place. So, like, that's the goal of a child placing agency. We'd love to not, like, work ourselves out of work in a way. Right. So, like, we don't even have to be placing children. But I think while we are making huge strides towards that, (laughs) we are not going away for sure. Um, But, yeah, I think what needs to be improved it's it's hard working as a case manager because i see a lot uh just many agencies and cps have such a high turnover rate because it is a hard job um so i think just training um case managers and cps workers um maybe in more like in-depth ways or just um really giving them support to maintain this job because this job can be really tough. And if you don't have support, it can be really easy to just quit because it's like, yeah. wow, this is really hard work. And some people kind of just quit without really giving it a good, exp- like just giving it a good chance. Like it could be the profession for them, but maybe they had a really hard case at the beginning and it burned them, it burned them out. Yeah. So I think, just support for the people in child welfare is definitely a good place to start. And then just awareness of the need for foster parents. That's really interesting because uh, my wife uh, is, a, is a grief recovery specialist. She's been doing that for 17 years. And that's mm-hmm. what she does is she helps people process through grief and loss and trauma. Yeah. And some of the people that she's worked with more recently have been people that are in the foster care um system mm-hmm. uh, working in it and because like i said you're marinating in trauma like there's a the secondhand trauma is just overwhelming i remember getting that as a teacher and being a teacher is not as intense as being involved in the stuff in a very hands-on way like you are in these kids life but i mean i remember reaching a point as a teacher where i just said okay i will i will work as hard as i can for as long as i can to save as many as I can mm-hmm. and then I have to be willing to let the rest go. Yeah. You know, because otherwise it was I was getting too wrapped up in what was happening to my kids and the things that they were dealing with and that they were going through. And then also just like I said the ability to process through that through something like grief recovery was immensely helpful because then it was like you're in a situation, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's painful to look at, but it's not connected to all of these other cases or students in, in my situation. It, it just is what it is in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard, but it's a lot easier to, to manage than when you're dealing with this being connected to all of these other cases of trauma and loss and grief and horrible things that these kids are yeah. going through. Um, do you think that, um, I mean, I know that going to conferences was a lot about trauma-informed care is like yes. this big buzzword. Um, yes. And certainly it's acknowledged for the kids. I mean, it's a very obvious thing uh, that the kids are going through. They're going through multiple families oftentimes. Sometimes their family situations are great. And other times it's just adding to the wounds that they already had. Mm-hmm. And so you have a variety of that. That's pretty clear. But when you raise the point about the people that are working in it, uh, it really resonated because there isn't a lot of thought given to how much they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, like, I have no idea what it's that, what that's like to be in that. But I would imagine that at some point it's got to be tempting to just sort of like, how does that child 
remain a child and not a folder on your desk, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because you're just, there's so much of it. So if you're not able to process through that stuff that you're seeing and experiencing all the time, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's no. like it goes away. Yes. <laughs> so. No, there's so, so, so much paperwork that comes, um, especially with child welfare. I feel like social work jobs in general are known for having a lot of paperwork, but in child welfare, there's so much. How much? Um, how necessary is all that? It is pretty necessary, just because those documents follow these children, and that's kind of one thing that they are guaranteed to have. Mm. Um, it's just all of these paperwork and documents following them, and that's why it is so important to document correctly and to really not get lost of like, oh, it's just stack of folders, but Mm. these are individual children where if I am not being careful, I can maybe mistype something or just like say something that might not be true. So you have to be so, so careful of being factual and being truthful to that child um, and really getting to know them and being able to document that effectively is so, so important. Um, yeah, so paperwork, I hate to say it, but it is very important. <laughs> I'd love for it not to be. Yeah, I'm, but I'm it's sure. Very important. No one likes paperwork, for no. sure. <laughs> um, what, would you, what would you say, as we, we kind of close up here, what would you say are just some of the most glaring misconceptions that people have about foster care? Like, what are the, what are the really big myths you wish people would kind of unlearn, so yeah. to speak, about foster care? <laughs> Um, just a few that come to my mind are that you get paid a lot um, going into foster care. Like, just families are in it for the money. I definitely do not think that is the case. Um, you really don't get paid a lot. Um, and to be a foster parent, you have to be able to be financially stable. Mm-hmm. Um, so this can't obviously be a sole income for you. Um, but you do get a stipend from the government, but... It's not something you can live off of. And just working with foster parents, all of that money goes to the kids. Mm. So I think that's a huge misconception is that people go in it for the money or they don't truly care about the kids. But in my experience, that is not the case. And from what I've heard through other people who work in child welfare is that is not the case. And maybe there are like those one cases that they are going in for the money, but generally they are not like foster parents are not going in it for the money yeah so that's for sure a misconception um i think another one would be that these children are beyond repair mm. and i know we talked about just the importance of trauma-informed care and for just people to know that these kids yes they are growing up in horrible devastating circumstances but they are not beyond repair And I know in a previous conversation we had had, we talked about the beauty of neuroplasticity and Mm -hmm. like your brain can change. Absolutely. And these kids like do have hope, just their, the trials and hardship they have faced that does not dictate their future. And I think that is so important for people going into foster care to know, um, is just that these kids, yes, have faced so much, but they are not doomed to fail. Um, they can recover from all of this, but they do need people who are willing to go in the trenches with them and really fight and advocate for them, for sure. Yeah, that's... Whew. 
Yeah, that's huge. I think the the minute we start feeling like somebody's beyond repair, mm-hmm. ah, wow. I mean, that's kind of like uh, like like when I was teaching. Like, if you felt like you just can't help a student, like now maybe maybe you know every student's different. But if you feel like like hey, it's up to them. They they have to want it. But 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 this situation is redeemable, mm-hmm. right? But if you can't even get to that point, then maybe you need to find something else to do. I mean, because, you know, these kids, I, I think to some extent, they need to know there's somebody that has that hope for them. That even if they feel hopeless, there's somebody that's kind of standing in in their place and saying, yeah. that's okay. You can be hopeless because I have hope for you. Mm-hmm. And give that to them. And if they don't have that, I mean, you know. And, you know, obviously, you know, kids reach an age where they make their own choices and they make their own decisions. Some of those decisions are better than others. Yes. But, my gosh. But also, I mean, like, kids have to be kids. Like, yeah. what kid is perfect? Like, right. Kids will make mistakes. Exactly. Middle school and high school. It's a hard time. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So that's why I think there's a lot of room for uh, grace and, and yeah. just kind of. But just even more than that, just having a vision for these kids that, that you know, this, this process is possible. And obviously, in a perfect world, both parents would be there and, and both parents would be nurturing and, and cultivating, you know, the best in them. But we don't live in a per- perfect world. We live in a broken world. And this is just one of those examples. Uh, but also, it's a really great opportunity for people to step into that gap and show the power of redemption and the power of hope and the power uh, of the possibility of transformation. So that's kind of an exciting thing. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our next uh, episode where we kind of get into part two. Now in part two, uh, we'll be talking more about how you can be involved. And we're going to be talking more than just, hey, you can be involved by being a foster parent. There's actually a lot of different ways that you can be involved in helping these kids without necessarily Uh, being a foster parent yourself. And so we'll get into that next time. Thank you so much for listening. You know, we know there are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there and we appreciate the precious gift of your time. Be sure to check out our website, pk4l.com for more resources and click on the link in the show description to download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Healthy Home as our gift to you. Remember, we're with you every step of the way. Until next time, have a great day.